Hey folks, I'm Kathy Parker with Beyond the Ball Field. This is not your typical sports show. We won't be talking X's and O's, but we will be talking about raising your family in the sports-crazed world. Let's not only survive sports, but let's learn to thrive on and off the field. So please, join us as we look at life beyond the ball field. Hi folks, today we have the privilege of speaking with Maurice Freeman. He is the head high school football coach at Brooks County High School in Quitman, Georgia. Maurice is known for his wins, but he's also known for much more. He gets it. He understands the impact of sewing in to the young men that he coaches every day. It was through great tragedy that forever Maurice's life changed and his philosophy on a true win and a true loss changed. You will get a lot out of this conversation today as I did. Thank you for joining us. One of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to say a statement or two to you and and have you expand on it. These are things that I know my husband being a coach, he's heard before. And so the first one is you can't save them all. No, you can't save them all, but I'll doggone sure try. Um, um, so that 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 statement there is is not on my wall. It's not on my computer. It is nowhere. So deep down, it's not that you can't save them all, but you can try to save them all. So you give your very best effort, and then some that you don't save, you've saved them because some some lessons that you are teaching them, they'll learn later on, and they'll come back around and say, you know what, Coach Man. I didn't like it, but you know, you were right. And it's not that I wanted to be right. I wanted to be true to you, and I wanted to help you. And if there's any way I can save you, I want to do that. So I'll do my best. I have a, I have a policy with my football program is I don't kick kids off the team. Um, you, you, you will probably dismiss yourself. Now, for me to suspend you, s- stealing and drugs, then I've got to suspend you. But I'm going to suspend you a lot longer than you want, so you probably dismiss yourself. But anything else, I've got to find a way to help you. Now, punishment may be harsh, but I'm going to be with you. I'm my own disciplinarian, so I don't assign discipline to other coaches. I'm going to do that myself. So uh, I'm going to really get to know you. While you're doing all this extra duty, then I'm going to spend time talking to you the entire time. And sooner or later, you're going to let your guard down and say, man, it's Dude, it's crazy. Why is he aggravating me so much? Well, because I want to save you. I want to help you. So I think we can come real close to saving them all, but I don't use the term you can't because you can. I love that. And, Coach, your history, um, you've had some things happen that have put a lot of things in perspective to you. Can you talk a little bit about the summer of 2013. Yeah, we call it we call it BC three. Um, it was when I lost my uh, I lost three guys. Actually, actually it was July the ninth um, of that summer, which is also the day of my wedding anniversary. Mm. So, wedding anniversary our anniversary um, is pretty tough, and the, and the, and the toughest thing about it is in my phone. I've got all these pictures of these kids. And that was 2013, and those pictures are still in my phone. So 
Uh, you just can't get over it. But it was it was a, a tra- tragic tragic accident where we lost three kids in a horrible accident after practice. We practiced, and my wife and I had planned to go to Atlanta. She had a workshop, and we're going to that workshop, and um, and um, you know we were practicing. So I had told the guys, "Look, I'm not gonna be here very long today." Going to, with my wife, and um, as we were leaving this school, going over to the other school to actually finish, we had a horrible accident. Those three guys, it was actually four of them in an SUV. It's a back road we called Toilet Paper Road back here. They were going down that road. Um, speed was excessive, and um, they had an accident and, and slammed into a tree, wrapped around a tree, and um, we lost three of them instantly, and one was thrown out of the back by the grace of God. He was thrown out of the back about 50 yards from the automobile. Oh, my. Um, he was laying down in the back. The other three were buckled up, and that is, that is what saved him. Um, and we all rode up on the accident. All your players. All players, all coaches. Mm. We rode up on it. actually saw it. I actually tried to climb into the automobile to try to save my boys. Um, but there was nothing really I could do. They're, they're, you know, going through college and, and being a teacher, there's no class that trains you for that. Nothing. Um, so you just got to go by your, your beliefs and, and, and what you think and what you feel. So at that moment, all you're trying to do is get the rest of them away from the accident allow the fire department and the police department to do their job and save the rest of them, get them away from it because it was a horrific accident. And uh, we got them over to the locker room and, and tried to talk to them and settle them down. And and then parents are coming. Was it my son? Was it my son? And so you can't really legally give out very much information. So I had to say I, I didn't know, which I did know, but I, I had to say I didn't know. And... Uh, then the coroner shows up, and he tells me, Coach, the three guys, you've lost them. The other young man, he's been lifelighted to Gainesville. And um, I said, okay, can you come tell my team? No, Coach, that's your job. I'm telling you, I don't know them. I know you, and you know them, so it's best that you tell them. And so um, I told them, um, and it was just it was terrible. It was awful. Um, and the three kids that we lost, all three of them was li- were linebackers. I taught linebackers. That's the position that I coach along with being the head coach. At smaller schools, you don't get the, the luxury of just being the head coach and talking to fans and all that. You got to work. <laughs> you know, so, um, so those are three guys that were my position players that I loved, that I spent a lot of time with, that I've, I had all three of them since they were in the sixth grade. And they were going to be seniors. And we were going to have a doggone good football team. And without them, we made it to the semifinals. With them, I'm convinced that we could have won it all. But, um, you know, it just it just happened to us. And the, the good thing about it, the community stuck together. We had a meeting that night, and the community showed up. And uh, we bonded together, and the team bonded together. And it was a, sex, it was a successful field, a um, successful season. But I have a scarlet letter, yeah, so to speak. Um, that I pass that tree every day. Sometimes I see those guys, and deep down there was a period of time where I wanted to be with them. Mm. I didn't want to be here. 
just they they were part of my heart, part of my soul, and uh, and I I am their keeper. Mm. I love my kids, and I and I lost them, and 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 so I went through a period of depression. Um, we all went through counseling, but um, you know, really, sometimes if you're not directly involved in it, human nature tells you that I can't reach out to you the way you want me to reach out to you. I can't tell you exactly how I feel. And 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 for me to talk to someone that I really didn't know was tough mm-hmm. because I didn't know you. But I could hear you. And, and, and the toughest thing about it is the young man that survived, he would not go to counseling. So what, what he did was, Coach, you're my counselor. Oh. So... He would talk to me, I would go talk to a counselor, and the counselor would give me the information, and then I would go back and talk to him. Mm. So I never got over it. I never could get it out of my system. So we named him BC3, and um, we, we always honor him behind the locker room. It's three crosses. We touch those three crosses every day, and before every game we pray around mm-hmm. those crosses and talk to them. Two of them are buried 200 yards from my house. So I can look out my kitchen window and see one of the graves, um, and um, all that. It's tough. Mm. It's tough because I love my kids. They're they're really an extension of my own family, and any coach that coaches and 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 is worth a grain of salt, you fall in love with your players, be they the great ones or the worst one. You fall mm-hmm. in love with them, and um, to lose them. And, and a couple of them, I had to speak at their funeral. Well, all three of them had to speak at their funeral. Um, one of them, we buried him in his football uniform. Wow. His mom said, Coach, he's not going to put on a suit. Mm. We need that uniform. And to bury that young man in that uniform and to speak over him at such a young age because I am one of those guys that said, hey, you know what? They'll probably have my funeral at the stadium and all of my players, I hope, will be there to represent me. But those three won't. Mm. And that's tough. So, Coach, that day, it was a, a turning point for you as far as what you thought about the sport, what you thought a successful season was and was not. Can you give us some examples of, of how that changed for you after that? I didn't want to coach anymore. I was afraid. I was afraid that, and I'm still afraid. What will happen if, because young men have no idea the dangers of automobiles. So they still drive fast. They still are wild. They still crazy in automobiles. So every day a player is late to practice, my heart races like crazy, wondering, is he okay? Did he get in the wreck? That's every day. So there was a period trying to prepare for the season where I was prepared not to play. To skip, I was prepared to skip the season. But I wanted to make sure that these players wanted to either play or we were going to skip it. So we had a series of meetings. And um, finally they decided that they wanted to play. So surely if they have enough guts to play, I got enough guts to coach. So after those meetings, we decided we were going to play, and uh, we took off. What did we learn? 
we learn to stop being so selfish. We learn that life is short and that, um, you know, the God, God doesn't call all of us. Sometimes accidents happen and, uh, and you never know. So appreciate what you have, appreciate where you are and what you do and who you represent. So we represented them and we represented this school system the best we could. And it taught us all how to fend for each other, how to love on each other, and how to tell the truth, how to, look, let me let you know right now how I feel about you, because tomorrow's not given for any of us. So we're huggers, you know, we, we, we tell them we love them, uh, we pray every day. And, you know, these days and times, there are organizations that, that um, don't feel like you should be bringing the Lord into programs, be it your own the right side or the wrong side, so to speak, or be it that you believe in God or you don't be, believe in God. That's your personal opinion, and I understand that. But in in my program, we're going to represent until they tell me I can't do it anymore. And I've been doing this for 34 years, and I've been praying with my team for 34 years, and hopefully as long as I'm the head coach, we're going to do that. But I know even saying this on this podcast that somebody's going to say, hey, Let's go get him. Hmm. That's not right. And in 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 that's life, but it's nothing compared to what Jesus went through for us. So Exactly. And what you're doing and for this not only this team, but it spills over into the community and and then the the husbands and the fathers that these young men will be in the communities that they will represent. Um, the legacy is going to be massive. So speaking of that and speaking of the time that you spend with these players and the relationships that you were talking about that you've built like they're your own, you've put together something that helps the community come alongside you and help mentor these young men. Can you tell us a little bit about your, is it called the 12th Man Program? It is called the 12th Man Program. My president of the Twift Man program at this time is Adam Green, and um, he is working extremely hard. Now, what the Twift Man program is, is I have a lot of players on my team that don't have dads at this time. They have fathers or they had a producer. But when it comes to someone representing them on a regular basis, there was not anyone there. And it was pretty stressful trying to be coach dad to every player, 55, 60 guys. So I started to complain about it and talk to some guys, and, and we had some men step up. And, and at this time, Adam Green said, Coach, I'll be your huckleberry. I'm a Western guy. I love Westerns. I'll be your huckleberry. Let's get it going. Let's continue to keep it going. And um, what it does is he goes into the community, and he finds men that want to help. And then they'll meet with me first. And what we'll do, Adam and myself, and what we'll do is is I will give them a pitch on the young men that desperately need help. And we'll start with the seniors, juniors, and, and so forth, sophomores and freshmen. And then Adam will match those men up with the players. And then the players will meet with them. We'll have a little program out here and we'll feed them. And then they'll get a chance to find out who their young man is. And then from that point on, it is your job to teach them the facts of life. It is your job to help them with school and 
and anything else that you deem necessary. We don't give them any requirements uh, except for, hey, these are his grades. We tell them about his family and, and tell them how he's doing in football. And then the rest is up to you. Whatever angle that you want, be it you're taking him fishing, you're taking him hunting, uh, you're taking him shopping, or you're taking him to church, or he's really mingling with your family, that is your decision. And, and, and the goal is to get him as a ninth grader and see him all the way through high school and help guide him into uh, an education or fathering his educational goals or military or trade school, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the goal is, whatever he says his goal is, that 12th man's job is to help him achieve those goals. Because basically what we're doing is we're making this community stronger by Absolutely. making these, giving these young men an opportunity to understand what they need to do and how to get there. And if they happen to come back, just like I did, I'm, I'm from Brooks, this, I'm born and raised here, then they come back and they can be pillars of this community. Absolutely. And how is that working out? It is working out great. We always need money. Man, uh, and money is tough for everybody, especially during this pandemic. We feed them. As a matter of fact, this year, the 12th Man program was so great and it influenced so many other people. And it does help that we were successful, that we fed them every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Okay. A group would come in and say, hey, Coach, I'll buy pizza. Uh, we're going to cook for them. So every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after practice, because Church of God fed us on Thursdays, every Thursday. Uh-huh. Um, that That's their baby. Um, but Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they would feed us, feed the team, feed the coaches. Um, some of them would have devotionals for us. Some of them would just hang out with us and talk with us. But every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after practice, they were there, and they would feed us. So now we know every player that leaves here has already had a meal. Mm-hmm. So now I don't have to worry about it. Is he going to eat when he gets home? Mm-hmm. I know he at least ate here. And some of them can eat pretty good, so they probably ate when they got home too. Mm-hmm. But at least I know that every kid that left my program to go home was already full when he left. So do you do that just during the season? We do it during the season, but the 12th Man program is a year-round program. Okay. So it does not stop. The feeding stops, but the uh, but the 12th Man program doesn't stop. So if we have special things that were going on, trips and things like that, that uh, the mentor, his his job is to, if he can't take him, then I'm going to be the substitute. Okay. Recruiting trips, games, which were tough this year, the games and recruiting trips, uh, movies and things like that, all of that was kind of shut down on us. So some of the things that we were doing, unfortunately, this year we couldn't, but it is a year-round program. Mm-hmm. And the need for that, uh, I, I've seen it with my kids growing up as athletes and then um, my husband coaching and uh if our kids went to uh, workouts or went to um, college recruiting, then we took others that, you know, maybe didn't have rides or those kind of things. You know, you gave them that um, opening up our home, feeding athletes. I've even had the privilege of interviewing a student athlete that grew up with my kids, and now he's a coach at, at the collegiate level. And um, I'll, I'll never forget him pulling me aside and this was you know after his success as a as a college athlete and and he said miss parker he said the reason i ate so much when i came to your home is he said i didn't have anywhere else to go and he said but i was too ashamed to tell you 
And uh, of course, we loved feeding him and he would just clean out the refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) But he was just, it just made me see that you may not know, because we we lived in a pretty affluent area Mm -hmm. and you may not know. Um, but you have to be able to, if you can provide it, share, and you've given uh, the community such an opportunity to come alongside you in a very specific way that if, Hey, if they don't have the, um, where they can invite over for meals or even be a mentor in that 12 man program, they certainly can donate. That is correct. And they certainly can provide a meal or groceries or something like that. So it's just so important. On the average, do you think you how many hours a week do you spend, especially during the season, with these young men? Wow. Um, well, I get to work about seven, and some of them are already here waiting on me, and uh, we're here all day. And so the 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 day ends about seven thirty, eight o'clock, twelve hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, so and, and then some. You know, I had a kid. I had a kid on my team that was was for a couple of weeks. He was staying late with me, and I enjoyed him. So you know, we stayed a little longer, talked, and goofed off. Um, come to find out, he was homeless. Mm-hmm. So um, I left him a couple of times. Hey man, I'm gonna go over to the other school and shut it down. All right, coach, I'll shut this down for you and go home. Well, he was just shutting the door, going in the locker room, going to sleep. Mm-hmm. He was homeless. And I just happened to turn around and come back one day. I said, what are you still doing here? And I said, come on, I'll give you a ride home. He gets in the car. I said, all right, let's go. And um, we get down the road, and I, I see him crying. I say, let's go get something to eat. So we get some food and just riding around. And I said, uh, you haven't given me any directions home. He said, coach, I don't want to talk about it. I said, come on, you can go home at night. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say, I'll call mama. So I knew he was homeless. He spent a night and didn't, didn't call mama, didn't ask for the phone, ate all my food. Yeah. He was hungry. And um, so uh, I got with our counselor and, and school counselor, Brian Law, and, um, and, and my 12-man program, and, and we put the family up in a, in a motel. And, and, and then someone donated a whole raggedy car, but it was a car for him to get around in. Um, and, and, you know, it was a struggle for that young man. But... Um, Last uh, two weeks ago, he signed a football scholarship to attend Albany State University because he stuck with it. Amazing! Wow, that is definitely a success story because he definitely would have been one that easily could have gone straight, could have sold drugs, could have stole, could have done anything, anything to survive. Um, But you know, coaches, and 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 sometimes we get a bad rap because sometimes teachers, uh, when we go to teachers, say, "Hey, look." Help me out with this kid. Sometimes they're thinking we're asking for grades. We're trying to save lives. We are truly trying to save lives because some of these kids are ready to quit. I've gone to houses and you and, and pull up in the yard and you say, ain't no way in hell somebody lives here. And they live there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, all teachers don't see that. So, this education that we have for some of these kids is not important. What's important is eating and stopping this guy from beating on his mama. 
and things of that nature. And 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 one of the things I do is is often I make them take the shoes off, and I do it in a joking manner so they're not paying any attention. But I'm looking at socks. You can tell what's going on by a kid's socks. You really can. Wow. And the reason I know that growing up, I had six sisters, my mom and my grandma, we were poor. But most of the people around us were poor, so we didn't know we were really poor. But I remember getting in the tub at night, washing my socks while I was taking a bath because I had a couple of pairs of socks. And so I knew as a child growing up, I knew when I became a coach, check socks. That's one of my things, check socks. And then guys that, that got holes in their socks and, 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 and socks are extremely filthy, they're probably wearing the same socks. Whenever I order football equipment, I always order extra socks. I always order three or four dozen extra socks. So those days I check socks, then I write the names down. And then after practice, I'll say, hey, you need to come see me. You need to come see me. You did a good job today. Well, one thing I give out is honey buns. Another thing I give out is socks. Wow. So it's no pressure on any of them. Nobody really understands or knows what I'm doing. But, hey, man, you got a chance here. You can have a honey bun or you can have a pair of socks. Give them socks, Coach. Wow. And you know that because you lived it. I know that because I lived it. Wow. And nobody wants dirty socks. So coming back to the community you were raised in. Didn't really want to come back. I was going to say, that's that's a hard thing to do. It is. I um, graduated from Florida a University, and my first job was in Macon, Georgia. Um, and and um, so I, I enjoyed being in Macon. Um, got a chance to start coaching football at Northeast High School, teaching elementary school and coaching at the same time. Um, and so when this job came open, I was like, man, I don't want to go home. No little town. There's nothing to do. Macon has all this stuff to do. It's close to Atlanta. That's a big city, yeah. too, compared and, to um, here. So, so um, I, I said, no, I, I don't want to come back. Uh, well, they talked to my mom. Doggone it. So my mom called me. and was like, hey, I hear they've offered you a job. So mom. I'm going to eventually be the head coach here at Northeast if I hang around long enough. I think I'm next in line. She says, aren't they trying to give you the head coaching job here at Brooks? I said, yeah, Mom, but I don't want to come home. I said, Mom, that's, you are there one. <laughs> <laughs> and I know everybody, so I just didn't think I'd get a fair shake. And I didn't want to be on the buddy-buddy system. Um, so I just didn't want to come. And she said, uh, well, Maurice, you owe them. She says, those coaches got you through. She says, why are you where you are? Because of a school secretary. And there's a school secretary here by the name of Hilda Calloway. And I used to work the CEDAR program. You familiar with that program? No. No, that means you had money. You familiar with the CEDAR program? The CEDAR program is a program where uh, if, if, if you were uh, underprivileged, low-income family, then you could work a couple of hours a day and, and, and 15 hours a week at the school, doing something at the school, and, and, and earn an income to, to help your family. And so I was in the city CETA program, so I was in the cafeteria, and I was the bodyguard of the secretary, keep you in line, those kind of things. But she and I got to know each other real well. And Hilda said, Maurice, what are you going to do um, after high school? I, I don't know. She says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to 
Where are you going to go to school? I said, Georgia. So Georgia offering you a full scholarship? No, but I want to go to Georgia. Who's offering you a full? Florida AM. That's where you need to go because you don't have no money. Your mama don't have no money. So you go to Florida AM and you go, and what are you going to major in? I don't know. You're going to be a coach. You're likely going to be a good coach. So you're going to major in physical education. Um, coach Gamble is a driver's ed coach, so get your driver's ed minor. And um, then you're going to come back here and be the head football coach. And after you win a state title, then you can go where you want to go. And that's exactly what I followed. Mm. Also, she said, uh, I got a friend that's a Sigma, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. I want you to find them, and I want you to be a member of that program. Well, I'm a member of that fraternity also. So she was really my guidance counselor. Everything she told me, I followed through with it because that's all I knew. Um, so uh, that was my guidance counselor. So she, uh, to thank her, she lives in my house. I have a house that I bought the first time. And when I moved, um, you know, she said she was looking for a place. I said, you can get my place. Wow. So um, um, that was my way of showing her that I appreciate it. But she was my guidance counselor. And uh, that is how I ended up back here. So I did win a state title, and I did leave. Um, I went back to Southwest as a head, a head coach, athletic director. Then I went to Brunswick. And somehow I ended up back here again. <laughs> so this is year number 34. Um, it's also year, I think, 16 for me here. Wow. So no regrets. I enjoy it. And you've been tremendously successful. Been pretty, pretty successful. Um, great staff, great kids, great community. Um, we'd love to make more money. We'd love to, to, to do some different things. But all in all, it's, it's, been, it's been great. Um, I can't complain. All right. Now, Coach Gamble, I had the privilege of hearing him speak, and he didn't take crap off anybody. You must have learned a lot of your uh, techniques and your whole theme of bring the hammer from Coach. Coach Coach Gamble's my dude. He he and I stay in touch now. We we Facebook friends, and we call each other. And the, the best thing that Coach Gamble has ever said about me could ever say about me is he calls me son. Wow. Now, I mean, so when we talk, hey, son, how you doing? He doesn't, he says he's proud of me. He says, Coach, I'm proud of you. You've learned a lot. You've done a lot. You've surpassed numbers when it comes to wins. Um, But the best thing that that dude could ever say about me is continue to call me his son. That's how much I think of him. I think the thing when I heard him speak and then also uh, several of his players, um, I think uh, they were introducing him, but they all said one thing in common about him is that you did not use any excuses. He didn't. No. He did not let you even start with an excuse. Coach Gamble didn't play the radio. I think he took the radio out of his truck. He just didn't play it, and I'm glad because he really between him and my uncle Dudley and and my college coach um, Rudy Hubbard, they really really molded me into the man that I am. And so now you're doing the same. Now I'm doing exactly the same thing and loving it. But the only problem is they don't feed me in the cafeteria like they used to feed Coach Gamble. Did he get some special treatment? We did he get special <laughs> treatment. He got it, and I don't get it, and I fuss about that all the time. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear more about that, my goodness. All right, now. At your home, you've got some adult children now and uh, a beautiful wife who is um, 
Miss America. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she is. And um, the principal at the middle, middle school. school um, I know your your theme is, is bringing the hammer. and, and But how does that work at the house? It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't work in anybody's house if you're the man. You're the do boy. Um, you know, I am the coach everywhere except for home. Then you got to settle down and mellow out because, you know, she doesn't talk a lot, kind of reserved. But, you know, I'm the protector, I'm the provider, but she is the boss. And that's okay. And I'm, I'm happy. You know, you go through good times and bad times, and we've gone through our tough times. So, you know, don't think it's, it's uh, Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Obama. No, it is not. It is a lot of work, daily work. It's harder than marriage, it's harder than football. Man, it's a lot harder than football. But, you know, I won a state championship every day, remaining married to Christine Freeman. And one of the things, too, that I hear all the time from uh, families of coaches is, it, I mean, it's a family affair. You don't go through what you're going through and spend the time that, and all, it's the whole family's involved. Correct. You're correct. As a matter of fact, we played for, a state title again this year, second time in a row, and unfortunately we lost another one. But my daughter, Hallie, uh, she's not the get-back coach, but sometimes when when there's trouble, when I, I've had some some health issues, um, and I finally kind of got them straight, but, but on the sideline, um, my daughter, Hallie, ends up at the state championship game. She's the get-back coach. Watch that. Oh, okay. She's pulling your... That's the get back. Look at her. But, but watch. I, I'm trying to get my guys pumped. I'm trying to get them ready to go. And she's just like Dad. She's she's in it. She's, okay. she's pumped up. She's, yeah. she's going. So it is special, you know, when your kids are really, truly in tune and involved in what you do. And, um, man, we've, we've got a great relationship. And, and I love it. Now, doesn't mean it's great all the time because the phone is attached to her ear all the time. Um, but but uh, I, I love it. I enjoy it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Wish I could have had 10 kids. So are any of them following in your footsteps of being a coach? Well, Hallie at this time is, is coaching a little league team and it's driving her crazy, so I don't think she's going to do it. <laughs> she's doing a little league basketball and it's about to drive her crazy. Um, but, but I think she loves it, but she's going to be a pharmacist. Uh, my daughter, Lauren, is an entrepreneur, jack of all trades, and and my daughter Brianna is a, a artist, starving artist. I might add, <laughs> they all starve for a long time. So she's a starving artist, and my son Maurice is autistic. Hmm. Uh, he went through sudden infant death syndrome and survived, and that doesn't happen often, very often at all. It's called sudden infant death syndrome. But um, my son, the last Freeman male on my side is autistic. So once I leave this earth and he leaves, a part of our lives, the Freeman name on that side, will disappear. And uh, along with BC3, having an autistic son is probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. Now, what? how old is he? Maurice is 30. Okay. But he's kind of like a six or seven-year-old mm-hmm. at this time. So that's tough. Mm-hmm. That is really, really tough. Um, and... and, and you know, he's not into sports. Then phase him and all. He loves Uno cards and he shuffles them some strange way. 
and he doesn't like the hood. I'm a hugger and doesn't like the hood. Um, but we share our time because he loves oh, he loves uh, chocolate chip cookies and loves to go to the mall. So we go to the mall every Wednesday, and um, we so we've got our little rituals also that we do. But you know, every dad, especially a coach that has a son, you want him to be a great football player. No, that's not going. That didn't happen. So so just him being autistic and him being mentally disabled was tough on me because he was my one and only son and I wanted so much to be able to have this great relationship with him and and us to interact like a coach and a son and that didn't happen. So I tell you that puts a hole in your pride and it, it, it sticks a big hole in, and in your And it definitely goal. makes you a lot more compassionate, doesn't it? It, it? does. It, it does, but it teaches you a lot. But it teaches you the hard way. Man, mm-hmm. that's, that's not an easy route. No. That is not an easy route. So for all of you out there that, that have autistic kids, thank you for toughing it out. Thank you for keeping them because they need all the love. They need more love than, than, than the normal child. Mm. And, and, and that's, that's, a tough, that's a tough one for parents. And, and it's a never-ending story. So, and you may not get any accolades for doing that. So please accept me saying, hey, I really appreciate it. If you've got an autistic child, continue to hug them, continue that fight, because they need that same love that the rest of them need. Absolutely. What's another thing you think you've learned from your son? I've learned to be patient and that I've learned that you cannot force everybody to be the same, that you have to allow them to go to a certain point, keep them safe and go to a certain point in life in the things that they deem are are, are important to them. And probably more than anything, he's taught me patience because when you got an autistic child, if you don't have patience, you end up jumping off of a building because they are stuck in a way, in their own way, and that's the way it's going to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is the way. I don't care what you think. That's the way it's going to be. So I learned patience. I learned that that uh, you really got to pay attention because, see, they don't communicate like we. Toothache, they may not just come up and say toothache, oh, I'm hungry, or oh, I'm not feeling good. They may not tell you those things, so you got to figure all that out. Yes, we've all had to figure that out with a baby before they were able to communicate. But then there's a point where a little child can tell you exactly what's wrong. But when it comes to an autistic child, sometimes it's not the same. So you spend a life, you spend the rest of your life really trying to figure them out and learn them and and paying attention all the time. You got to be on point all the time. And if you're not, you know, you can, I lost him one time at the mall um, walking with me and he turned my hand loose. And as I looked and he stayed there, then all of a sudden he saw something and didn't say daddy. So mm. I was still walking in. And when I looked, he's not there. And I panicked. I'm like, oh, God, where's my child? And it was just him and me. Mm-hmm. So if you say, hey, uh, what's your name? He'll tell you his name. And that's about who you're with. He may, he may say daddy or big mo, which is what we call me. But that's about all you're going to get out of him. And so, man, that was a panic. And I just happened to walk back up on him. Now, mm-hmm. somebody could have stolen. You know, mm-hmm. how strange things go on these days. I know. And I never would have forgiven myself. Mm. 
Well, I tell you, Coach, I learned a lot more about you. I thought I knew a lot, but you've really had quite a life. I've had a good life, but a tough, tough life, um, a fair life. Um, I lost my mother. She was 53. I lost her at 53. So she didn't get to see me completely grow up. There was not a dad in the home, but I lost my dad at 55. Um, but the guy that was the most important was my Uncle Dudley. He got a chance to really see me grow up and do a, a lot of things. Um, but but I, I lost them. And, and those things take a toll on you also. Uh, and then there was my six sisters. So you end up end up being really the dad and trying to um, really keep that family together. Um, that And I'm a fisherman. I love to fish. I love to fish, but more so than anything else, I love my family and being out here with these kids. Well, I know they love having you, and you're a blessing. You're a blessing to them. You're a blessing to this community. So thank you. Thank you for your time today. This is really good. Hopefully I didn't talk too much. No, it was great. But I guess now you know I'm a talker. I love it. I love it because it makes it easy. Thank you for joining us today on Beyond the Ball Field with Kathy B. Parker. And if you want more information about what we do, go to my website at kathybparker.com. You can order my book, Northern Lights, and find out about our next adventures. So thank you for joining us today.